0: And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. This is Pavlina, producer and host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Ruth Ellen Gruber is an American journalist, author, editor, and researcher. She has published and lectured widely and has won several awards for her work on Jewish heritage and contemporary Jewish issues in Europe. Her book, Jewish Heritage Travel, A Guide to Eastern Europe, was first published over 25 years ago and is still considered the most complete Jewish travel guide to the region. We first learned about Ruth and a bit about her work last year in an episode here on Ukrainian Jewish heritage dealing with dark tourism, which involves travel to places historically associated with death and tragedy. Ruth's work, however, sheds light on Jewish heritage sites with the goal of keeping alive the memory of Jewish life in Europe through the restoration of physical reminders. Despite an insanely busy schedule, Ruth Ellen Gruber graciously agreed to share some of her thoughts about her work, the changes she has observed, and what it all means for the future. I caught up with her by phone at her home in Italy. So, you're American born, raised, and educated. What prompted you to move to Europe after graduating university?
1: Well, it was personal, actually. I mean, I, in my senior year of college, I studied in Europe and then went back. And after graduation, I came back to visit my parents who were living in Europe at the time. And then, you know, I ended up getting a job after hanging out at home for a bit and then doing some research work for my father. I ended up getting a, a job as a at, with the Associated Press as an intern in Rome. And then I was hired... Um, sort of on a full-time basis by United Press International, where I subsequently was based in six different countries in a career with them as a foreign correspondent.
0: Wow, so you took journalism in university. That was your degree?
1: No, no, I have an ar- a degree in art. You know, I always wanted to be a writer.
0: Ah, okay. So you were foreign correspondent for several years.
1: For over a decade, yeah.
0: Was that dangerous work?
1: Dangerous, I wouldn't say, when I was a correspondent for United Press International, I worked for them, I was based for them in six different countries. Half of the time I was in communist countries. And when I was based in Poland in the very early 1980s, I ended up being arrested and um, put into jail for 24 hours. And, you know, there was a big case where they appeared to accuse me of espionage. It was a big nothing burger really. It was they were making a case out of me to try to intimidate other reporters and then I was expelled from the country. But I was never in any danger then. And where I was and what I was doing I don't think I was ever really in any danger as a foreign correspondent. I was in Europe the whole time.
0: That sounds scary, although it's it's good that you weren't um in serious danger. It was just a kind of a show thing.
1: Yeah, it was, but it was a big deal at the time, because sure. it was it was uh, January 1983, and it was a time of great tension. You know, Poland, they'd had the Solidarity Revolution, Solidarność, and then martial law had been imposed, and this was an attempt by the authorities to make an example of me. They sort of pretended to accuse me of espionage, <laughs> oh, boy. even though it was completely made up. It yeah. was very clear that it was very made up. But it was a way that they were trying to intimidate other Western journalists, but also intimidate Polish people Mm. who were our sources or our friends. Right. It didn't work, but I was expelled from the country, and I couldn't go back to Poland until the the ouster of the communists some years later.
0: So what led you to uh, specialize in Jewish heritage travel, writing a book?
1: Well, half of my career with UPI was in communist countries. Yugoslavia. I was based in, in what was then Yugoslavia, and then in Poland, and from both Belgrade and Warsaw, I covered the, the Eastern Bloc, as we called it. And this is a place where, especially in Poland, which was, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Jewish heartland. Right. But when I covered this area as a journalist, I covered Jewish stories, but, you know, only as part of the whole story that I was covering, political, social, economic, whatever. And um, on my second visit to Romania, I traveled all around Romania with the the then chief rabbi, who was quite a character. We visited at Hanukkah, we visited lots of Jewish congregations and synagogues, Jewish communities all around the country. I think I traveled with a rabbi for six days, and I think we visited 19 Jewish communities. Mm -hmm. And so I saw these buildings and I saw some of the cemeteries. And in one of these towns, it was the town that my grandparents had come from. So while we were there, I was able to go to the Jewish cemetery and they helped me find the grave of my great grandmother who was buried there. And, you know, I wrote about this, but I wrote about it as part of all the the political and other stories that I was writing about these countries. Mm -hmm. However, I had had this experience And then about a decade later, at the end of the the 80s, when the wall was coming down, my brother had just become the founding director of what was called the Jewish Heritage Council of the World Monuments Fund. And he was trying to establish inventories of what remained of Jewish heritage sites in the former communist bloc. Hmm. And since I was covering the revolutions, let's say, in 1989, 1990, Mm -hmm. he said to me, you know, when you're out there covering these political events, if you come across a synagogue, a Jewish cemetery, whatever, please take a picture, make a description, and send it back, because there were no inventories of what was there. There was an assumption that nothing remained, there was an assumption, let's say, in the United States that nothing remained, mm-hmm. and or very little remained. Mm-hmm. And nobody had general files. I soon found out that there were individuals in each of these countries who, on their own, had done research on the ground and had gone out with their backpacks and their bicycles mm-hmm. and old maps to find these places. But many of them were not in touch with the others, and there was sort of no comprehensive idea of what was there across the region. So I started doing this, you know, and I got extremely interested in it. And my brother came to Europe twice. I think it was September 1989. We traveled in Hungary together. And then in May 1990, on one of my first trips back to Poland after I was expelled, we traveled in Poland looking for these sites. And so I got very interested in it. And then I, I wrote an article for the New York Times in 1990 about visiting the vestiges of jewish civilization in in poland visiting what was there and this indeed was an exercise in dark tourism because everything basically everything i saw was a ruin Mm -hmm. or a synagogue transformed into something else or cemeteries that were totally overgrown this was like visiting sites of tragedy right but then i got very interested in it and i made a book proposal and got a contract to write a guidebook to, Jewish, to Central and Eastern Europe, and that became Jewish Heritage Travel, which was my first book.
0: Right, that was published about, you said, over 25 years ago now, but it's, yeah. it's, and it's been republished several t- updated editions.
1: Yes, yes. It was, it was first published in 1992, and then there were three more editions. The last one was published by National Geographic in 2007.
0: And you've published another book since?
1: Yeah, I've published several other books. The next book I published was called Upon the Doorposts of Thy House, Jewish Life in East Central Europe Yesterday and Today. And in this book, I it's, I think, five long essays about how the physical remains and the physical traces of pre-war Jewish history and Jewish civilization resonate today. How they, how they are today, what they look like today. I mean, today meaning, you know, the early yeah. 1990s. Sure. And, and how, how, how memory, how they trigger memory. And I call it upon the doorposts of the house because in, in Jewish tradition, you put a mezuzah, that is a, a scroll right. with a, a verses from the Bible, from the Torah, on the doorposts of your house. Mm-hmm. And they mark Jewish houses. The mezuzah marks... Jewish houses. Right. And my sort of conceit that I used in this book was that in, in many places in Europe, especially in Eastern Europe, but also I've seen it in Italy, uh, many houses at that time, you could see the scars where mezuzahs used to be, where they had, e- where they had been removed, either by force or when people you know, moved away or something, but they denoted these scars, these places where mezuzahs used to be. You can still see where they used to be. They denoted places where Jews once lived but didn't live anymore. And just like these, you know, empty places Mm -hmm. of mezuzahs on doors, I made the conceit more like these physical remains, the synagogues that still stand, the Jewish cemeteries that still stand, even though they may be abandoned and in terrible condition. They're like symbolic mezuzahs because they indicate towns and cities and villages, right. entire countries where Jews once lived and don't live anymore. And then the memories that people have are also like symbolic mezuzahs because they, they also still resonate, even though many decades have passed.
0: I learned about mezuzahs, actually, just last week. I spoke with a young man in Kiev. Who's I call him a born again Jew. <laughs> he found his mother is Jewish, his father's Ukrainian, and he only really found out seven or so years ago that he was Jewish because his mother was, and mm-hmm. and so he's like now on a journey of discovery, and he's also sure. yeah, and he's also cataloging all the shtetls uh, that have disappeared or are about to disappear in uh, in central and eastern Ukraine, where there's not that much restoration work being done. And I don't understand why why they would be removed from doors.
1: Well, but because when the Nazis came, they ripped them away. Yeah, okay. Or when people fled, they often took them with them. Okay. Or, or when, after the war, people rebuilt the houses and moved in, you know, they, they took them down. There weren't Jews living there anymore, so they took them down. Hmm. You know, Those are the three main reasons that, the, that they wouldn't be there anymore.
0: Right, yeah. I've been speaking with Ruth Ellen Gruber, an American journalist, writer, editor, and researcher, now living and working in Europe. She is the author of several books, including Jewish Heritage Travel, A Guide to Eastern Europe, and Upon the Doorposts of Thy House, Jewish Life in East Central Europe. In part two of this interview next week, we discuss her other books, a website she runs that collates information and news about Jewish heritage sites in Europe, as well as her work in Ukraine. I hope you'll join us next week. Thank you for listening today. I'm Pavlina, producer and host of Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Until next time, Shalom. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish heritage are available at their website, UkrainianJewishEncounter.org, as well as at the Nasholus website, com.